Alright guys, welcome to Air of Grievances Podcast. I am here with my good friend Brian, founder of Sacred Collective, and pastor up here at the... United Church of Christ. United Church of Christ, thank you. I know he's UCC. I'm not technically a pastor yet, but it's a thing called member and discernment, uh, which you're discerning your call. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with it right now, but... It is what it is. I've been in the process for a couple of years, but eventually I'll get there. But working full time, being married, having a kid kind of slows the pace down a little bit. Yeah. Is that your goal? My goal eventually, like I want to be ordained just because it's a lot easier to do ministry when you have a denomination mm. um, because they can give you money <laughs> yeah. where doing it on your own is very tough. Uh, but I've talked with my – there's – Every state is broken up into like their own conference. So what's different with that is every conference can... So I deal with the Minnesota conference. I don't deal with the national office, I see. which is in Cleveland. Um, but every church is autonomous because one church in Minneapolis doesn't have to do the same thing as a church in St. Paul or Duluth nice. or wherever. But okay. I eventually want to do that. We'll see. Okay. Are all UCC churches just as progressive and open-minded, and do they have the same kind of doctrine or lack thereof? Uh, not necessarily. Um, auto- they're really big on autonomy mm-hmm. and being autonomous, which the main denomination is in Cleveland, Ohio, um, and the the theology of the UCC is very liberal. They're open and affirming. They're social justice-driven, but they want every church to be like that, but they're not going to force right um every church to do that so m- mostly there's 300 i think 300 ucc congregations in minnesota okay. and out of that only about 100 120 are open and affirming interesting um, and it's that, most, that's a smaller number than i would have guessed yeah but it's mostly urban suburban churches that are um open and affirming if you go to small small town Podunk, Minnesota, mm-hmm. they're probably not gonna they're gonna be more conservative. Um, but every you know, I follow a lot of friends who do ministry within the UCC conference here in Minnesota, and they it's surprisingly a lot more in smaller towns are actually becoming more progressive. That's good, um, but yeah, it's every church is different, which is different from the tradition that I grew up in, because the tradition I grew up in the Assemblies of God. Um, pretty much what the the headquarters said every church had to do okay i see so they were so your mainline protestant churches which are pretty much like united methodist ucc presbyterians lutherans they're pretty autonomous in a lot of ways where more evangelical churches some of the god baptists you pretty much have to do what their denomination or what the denomination itself says mm-hmm. little wiggle room but not too much yeah. like a mini pope almost with with this in, in a way yeah yeah you could say that interesting okay so you didn't start in the ucc obviously i did not when did you first make that transition i look back on it and it was funny because my mom grew up as some as a god super pentecostal my dad grew up strict lutheran i don't know if it was like missouri synod or whatever it was but Growing up, I have an older brother, and then it's me. But my parents were pretty much, they didn't care what kind of church I was brought up in. I mean, as long as it wasn't cultish. Yeah. Um, but they were just like, we want you to go to church, you know, kind of just be instilled in the faith. Of course, every parent, if they're a Christian, wants their kids to be a Christian. Yeah. 
Um, but I think I just raged like internally about it because I got, I still joke with my mom, like in our Assemblies of God church in St. Paul, where I grew up, they had like little prayer cards or notes that you can take. And, you know, the pastor, I remember he would say, oh, we know we need people in the community to come in church. And the Bible is very open to all. And I was like, well, it's all white people. (laughs) And, you know, we go to a church, you know, it's the second biggest city in Minnesota. And it was pretty much all white people. And Mm -hmm. it was all people that came from suburbia into the church. And when we did ministry in, in most urban sectors, there's always kind of like pockets of like, oh, it's predominantly white or predominantly African-American or predominantly, you know, Asian-Americans. Uh-huh. And where our church was super gentrified, like you go north into like just a couple blocks, it was really rich individuals. And you go three or four blocks to the south and you're in predominantly, you know, more um, people of color yeah. area. And we did ministry down there one time and... I, it was me and a couple other youth and then some parents, and we were asked for pot. Like, oh, you guys have any pot? And these parents were, like, freaking out, and they were like, oh, my gosh, we're never going to come back here again. Oh, no. And I, But getting back to, like, the card thing, like, I would write stuff like, where are, you know, the people, the orphan, the widow, the poor, what it says here in the Bible, mm. we're not doing anything about that i think it was just lip service and then when people were like oh well jesus loves you but if you reject him then he's going to send you into hell forever Mm -hmm. it's just never sat right inside kind of like my heart and then the more i just i mean i went to college for pastoral stuff at an ag school north central university and it was just more of the same same stuff and i went there because that's all i knew you know, I wanted to be close to my family. I wanted to be close to, you know, family um, and my friends that I had. But then I, I hated it looking back on it. I was like, why did I go there? I wish I went to like the U of M or a school that was more open-minded. Mm-hmm. But I think how I went to the UCC was actually when I was, I went to Bethel Seminary, um, which is a Baptist school mm-hmm. um, uh, in Arden Hills. Um, I had just finished my master's degree in Christian thought. And then I was about a year or so into my doctorate that I was working on there. And I actually had a friend who worked in the library at the seminary. And he actually grew up UCC in kind of rural Wisconsin. And he just knew that just by talking, because he would work out, you know, work, checking out the books, you know, stacking the books. Good, just part-time job for the seminary students. And he was like, you really just don't seem like you're evangelical. Mm. And I was like, mm. yeah, that's pretty good. Because was, I was one of the only students at the seminary who was kind of like more at that time just open with universalism. Yeah. Where I was like, you know, a lot of these good theologians like Karl Barth, uh, for instance, he Karl Barth never came out and said he was a universalist, but his writings would prove otherwise. Yeah. But I looked at like a church father like Origen and some others, and then I'm like, they don't talk about hell. They don't – hell is more of a – earlier concept or a later concept, later concept. Um, probably within the last 100, 150, 200 years. And so he was like, maybe you should check out the denomination that I'm going to go back to. And I was like, I thought you were Baptist. He's like, nope, I'm United Church of Christ. So I actually, um, hmm. being in school as long as I was, I researched the snot out of um, the UCC and talked with my wife and did the typical good Christianese thing. I'm like, let's pray about it. Let's think about it. And you know, visited a couple churches and 
you know, thought that their their theology was in line with where I was at. And I, I'm as a Christian, I like more of the older, like liturgy, stained yeah. glass. You know, the smells and bells. And a lot of people don't like that. Like my when my family visits me when I preach or do pulpit supply at UCC churches around the city, they just not that they don't like it, but they're like, "Well, this works for you, so that's great." So it's kind of I came into more liberal mainline denominationalism with a bunch of at evangelical schools. Okay, so it's kind of funny, but interesting. Okay, when did you and you you averted to? Um universalism when did you first was it like a transition into that belief or was it like all of a sudden oh wow i don't believe in hell anymore sort of thing yeah i think with a lot of views there's a lot of theologians and philosophers that i like that will say you shouldn't have a belief especially religious belief that you hold so kind of like so tight Mm. that you can't throw it away if you need yeah, to hold it with an open hand yeah hold oh, yeah hold it with an open hand and it was one of those things where i think a lot of people want to re- like leave certain religious views but they're afraid of what their parents might say if they have siblings or relatives and i come from my family will say that they're open-minded and some are more open-minded than others but it was one of those things where you know, even to this day, when I say, "Hey, I don't believe in hell," "Hey, I think everyone's going to go to heaven," they will be like, "Well, why do you believe in the Bible?" And that's a whole another podcast. Um, but I know I might slip it in there. On well, you. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But it, it was one of those things where I went back and forth. Where I was like, "Yeah, I'm a universalist," and then I was like, "No, like I can't do that." Like I had this like little like religious war yeah, going on inside, sure, kind of sure. like my heart and my mind. And then I really, you know, I kind of did how I was taught, like, just pray about things when you're kind of discerning what you believe. And I literally was like, God, if you tell me that I'm wrong, you know, show me in my study, show me in reading, show me, you know, kind of reveal yourself that, you know, that self-revelation to me. And to this day, I've never felt like God was like, you're wrong. Could I be wrong? Yeah, absolutely. But I feel like, and, and there's different views of universalism. Like every religion right. has, like you know, in, in the Islamic faith, they have like Islamic universalism, where like Allah will save everyone. So I want to differentiate universalism as I believe in Christian universalism, okay. where Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross, rose again. Um, that it was for all people at all times. So I, you know, and even when I go to some UCC churches and I. You know, people who know me, they're like, well, isn't that kind of like, what if someone doesn't want to believe in Jesus? And I'm mm, like... I've heard that one. Yeah, if someone doesn't want to believe in Jesus, that's fine. They're like, well, what if they don't want to go to heaven? And I'm like, well, what person wouldn't want to go <laughs> to heaven? They're like, well, what if I want to die and be in a box? I'm like, well, that's, that's you know, that could happen. I just be, I don't hold that view so tight where that, like, that's all I'm ever going to be. But personally, for me, I I can't be anything other than a Christian universalist. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like if you're a Christian universalist or a universalist at all, you really can't believe in the concept of hell because hell's empty. Or if there is a hell, I would really think that it would just be for the devil, whatever the devil is, and the demons, whatever that is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh 
Did you go through like any phase of annihilationism or anything like that, or was it just just straight to universalism? I, I don't. I I had an issue with annihilationism. It's kind of a cool word, just annihilationism. Yeah. So it's like super apocalyptic. But I just didn't like. Uh, I, I read tons of books. There's like I forget. Who, I think Zondervan put it out. Like four views on that. You know, end times or four views on like hell and annihilation was one of them. And I read it and I was like, this just seems terrible. Where like. I don't feel like a loving God would just annihilate. Mm. You know, like he would rescue like the quote unquote Christians and then just annihilate everyone else. Mm -hmm. Like almost like a purification thing. And I'm like, well, I just, that doesn't seem like a loving, loving God Mm -hmm. would do that. And some people hold that view and some people who are ministers, some people who are professors or scholars, and that's fine. And everyone holds those views for a reason. But like, going back i don't think anyone should hold a a view so stringent and so tight that they can't be whether through scholarship through prayer through god revealing god's self to someone um so tight that they can't ever switch right their view because at the end of the day they're all just viewpoints they're all just beliefs and beliefs can change just like as humans we change yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you see um there being hope for a transition in the church away from the more fundamentalist views, or do you think that, that that's something that's just kind of always going to be there? Unfortunately, I think it's always going to be there because there's so many Christians, and it's not even just in Christianity. I think it's in most religions. You can look at Judaism, Christianity, um, Islam, um, more the Abrahamic ones, those three, yeah. the Abrahamic religions where you're always going to have fundamentalists in their sector or in their belief that they have to believe that way. They have to, they're like, I have to believe that Jesus is, you know, A, B, C, or D, and I have to believe that the Bible is inerrant. I have to believe the Bible is this, or their holy book is this, because if they don't, then they feel like the one, five, ten, twenty, however long they've believed, if they have to switch or if they have to, like, kick that certain view away then it's like part of them is dead Mm. inside. And I've never been a Christian who has struggled with that. I've just always been like, oh, well, this makes sense to me. Oh, I'm going to gravitate towards this. But there's so many other... I have a lot of family members, I'm not going to say names on the podcast, but where they'll look at me and be like, I have to believe this, you know, A, B, C, D. And I'm like, what if... What if God came to you and said A, B, C, and D is wrong? Uh. And they were like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So even with them saying that, they're like, it's like they have to believe in these fundament these fundamentals because mm-hmm. all that fundamentalism is like fundamentals of your said belief. But if those fundamentals are be are shown to be false or shown to be suspect, they in their mind would still believe in it, right? Because it made sense to them, yeah. And that they couldn't, like, disassociate themselves mm-hmm. from that. And that's, that's you know, it's sad. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure you've heard Peter Rollins and read some of his uh, stuff. but All about him. I am too. And he says in a lot of podcasts, like, atheists are just as bad as fundamentalist Christians because you're so, fu- <clears throat> excuse me, you're so fundamental in your views that you're like, I know that there is no God. Well, no one can prove if there is a God or not a God. Yeah. You just can't. They're they're hardcore beliefs, and so he's like, so when atheists are like, oh, we reject God, we reject 
the notion of all this. And then it's like, well, you're not really proving the non-existence of God, just like a Christian can't prove the existence right. of God. And that's why they're beliefs. Mm-hmm. So I like how Peter Rollins does that, where he's like, I don't care if you're a Christian or not. They're both, you can both be fundamentalists in that way. Or I think anybody, whether an atheist, a Christian, a Jew, a, a Muslim, they should hold their views with kind of like what you said, like with an open hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of just go from there. Yeah. When we're talking about uh, fundamentalism, and you're, you alluded to like members of your family saying, I have to believe this. Is it really a belief if you're choosing to believe it? Like, isn't belief something that you can't help? Isn't belief something that it just resonates with you or doesn't resonate with you? Is it choosing to believe something? Isn't it choosing to tell yourself you believe in something? I I guess in a way. um, That's tricky when you come to anything. Like, I look, I think belief in a lot of ways is choice. Mm, so mm, I use the yeah. example when I talk to people like I'm married, I love my wife, you know, we're coming up on eight years here of being married and we've known each other for 12. And I tell people like when you get married and you make that commitment at the altar, like till death do us part, which I'm like, no one really, when you say yes, when you marry someone, you don't know what the next day is going to bring. You don't know what 50 years is going to bring, but you choose every day mm. to kind of make that commitment of like, I'm going to love you. I might feel like crap. I, you know, you might smell, I might get fat, you know, I might lose a good paying job. You might get a better paying job, but it's, it's this willful thing of like, I'm wanting to be with you. I'm wanting to believe in our marriage where I look at a belief in, in in like, let's say faith in Christianity, the kind of the same way where I'm choosing to believe in Jesus. I'm choosing to have this view. I'm choosing to do that. And can things influence you to change those beliefs? Absolutely, because I was raised like there is a hell. If you reject, you know Jesus, you're going to go to hell. So I was told that belief, and I held it for many years. But then when I stepped back and kind of reassessed it, I was like, huh. So I think there's, and I mean, there's definitely familial things. Like I'm sure when you were, you know, raised, your parents instilled in you like we want you to believe in this, we want you to believe in that. And so sometimes once people leave that, it's hard to leaving that belief, but it's sometimes those beliefs have to, you know, you have to step back. And the same thing with like marriages, when some marriages fall apart, you know, it's not that you don't love that person, but for whatever reason, you're like, this isn't working out. Right. And so that's, you know, I've had friends that gotten divorced where they still love each other to this day, but not the kind of love that will sustain a marriage and what a marriage should be. And that's why a lot of people who... Well, I know a lot of people who are atheists who, deep down in their heart, they probably still believe in God, but they had to walk away from that concept and idea right. of believing yeah. in a God. Mm-hmm. So I still think that they have that belief, but that belief has to be kind of taken back a little bit. Right, right. If That's that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, did you, speaking of atheism and you know wrestling with that belief in God, did you ever have a time... Where you were in that place where, where where you were doubting the the beliefs that you were taught or the existence of, of any God. Because I find oftentimes atheism is a specific reaction to a version of God. And a lot of times people say, oh, I just don't believe in God. It's like, well, which God don't you believe in? You know, which God are you reacting to? Have you ever had a period in, in your life where where you were pushing against that? Yeah, yeah. Um shoot one don't one don't i push against that um 
And I love my wife a lot because there will be some days where I'm like, I believe in Jesus 110%. And there's other times where, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were just coming back from the mall and I kind of got like choked up. And my wife was like, what is going on? And I was like, I don't know if I believe in God right now. Mm. And she was like, that's okay. And I feel like in so much in Christianity, we're told like, if you don't believe in God, like it's just like you're going to be empty, you're going to be sad and depressed and stuff. And there's been times where I haven't prayed for weeks, for months, or read, read my, you know, kind of like read your Bible, pray mm. every day, you're going to grow, grow, grow. That was something that we were taught in the church. Sure, and same. sometimes I'm like, well, no, like sometimes just going out in nature and seeing the beauty of the green grass and the blue sky, or now it's technically kind of almost spring here in minnesota where the snow's melting mm. and y- you know you see that and i'm like to me sometimes i can get get you know seeing god in that but there's times where i'm just like do i believe in any of this and there's sometimes when i pray even when it, even in like my doubt or unbelief i still pray and i'll be like god i don't know if you're real mm. i don't know if you're out there but if you are here's my prayer I like and that. i don't and i don't think god is like hmm, well you know I don't, you're not really believing. You're yeah, you're like, are you in? Or are you out? I think everyone is, you know, struggling. Everyone's in a journey in their life. So, and, and, and what I ha- have I ever said that in my own heart that I'm an atheist? No, and I have a lot of good friends who are atheists. But personally, this is my own my own personal view. I don't believe in atheism as a capital A. I believe in atheism as a small a, meaning mm-hmm. most people who are atheists are atheists because they're rejecting an idea or a concept of God that they were shown yes. that need to be rejected. So yeah. I'm, an, I'm an atheist, in the, and this is getting really philosophical, I like this. but I rejected the fundamentalist idea of God. Yeah. The way the fundamentalists in Christianity will show God, I've rejected that God. So am I an atheist? Yes. But capital A, no. Because I don't think anybody can just say, wake up one day and say, I I don't believe that there is a God. Because in my heart and in my mind and in all the schooling I've done, I'm like, that just doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, am I I an atheist when it comes to the evangelical view of God? Yes. Mm. But to say that I reject God as as a capital A atheism? No, because I just don't think you can. I think atheism, like scholars... Who, who are, you know, atheists, I feel like if you go back and they talk about their upbringing or what happened, it's like, oh, I was abused by a priest in this school, or I was abused in church, or my parents, you know, told me to believe in God, but, you know, they were screwing around with other people, or they were a drunk, or they beat me. And then I'm like, but because of that, and that's terrible, and I feel terrible for them, but that doesn't mean that there's no God. That means you have all that anger and hurt, which you should have yeah. for that. But that doesn't prove that there is no God. Right. You're And you need to reject that God. So maybe you're an atheist from that view, the way you were he- like brought up. But it doesn't mean, therefore, you've totally eliminated God and yeah. the whole idea and concept of God. You mm-hmm. rejected a view of God that needed to be thrown away. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's important and, and essential, yeah, really. So, yeah, and I mean, I, like, I have some really close friends who are atheists who were raised in the church, and I, I won't bring it up. I'll let them, I'll respect their views, but if it was asked to me, like, Brian, what's your view? Like, you're asking me now, 
I would just say, hey, I don't really believe in atheism because when I've talked to my friends who are atheists, they'll tell me their story. And like in my head, I'm like, ding, ding, ding. Like you're rejecting a concept and an idea of God Mm. that needs to be rejected. But that doesn't mean you've rejected God fully. Yeah. The ground of being, if you will. Kind of going with the tillich. Yeah. Yeah. Like how can you reject the ground of being when... I don't think yet you really anybody can re- really reject the concept of God because God's not a concept that c- can be understood. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but that's why I like the term agnostic Christian because for one thing, if God is unknowable, you know, that's a literal definition of agnostic, unknowable, you know, and, and there's a degree of doubt, you know, in any belief, like I said before, if if God woke me up every morning and started fixing me breakfast, then there's no way I would have any doubts. You know, he's this dude right here in front of me physically, mm-hmm. you know, but that's not the nature of it. That's not, that's, you know, that's not what or who God is. God is this unknowable force. Right. And yeah, I think that's really beautiful way to put that. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. So how do you, this is getting a little bit heavy, but um, how do you feel about Jesus. What was the nature of Jesus, and who who was Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, that's a really good Christological question. <laughs> um, I I love Jesus. Uh, I have no problem saying that. I think Jesus was a great teacher. Um, I think he was a social uh, rebel. Mm-hmm. I, I remember I tried to preach a little sermon like the youth group I grew up in. And the Assemblies of God, you know, they would let some of the older students preach. And I remember, I think I was a junior or senior um, before I got kicked out of the youth group, which is another <laughs> another thing. I was frustrated with my denomination growing up. And anyway, but I, I, I preached, I, I said Jesus was a rebel. And they're like, you can't say that, like, rebel is a negative. Really? Uh, and they're like, rebel is this negative word. I'm like, well, negative is not a negative word per se. I was like, but if you look at scripture, Jesus, pretty much what all the, like, religious people, like the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the ones who knew the law. They knew the Torah. They knew, they're like, you can't do this, this, and this. And it's like time and time again, Jesus was raging against that and was like, but you're missing the point. Yes. Like, sometimes the Sabbath needs to be broken. Sometimes, you know, that person who's unclean and, and unpure, like, they made maybe made a bad decision, but I'm here to show that my kingdom and my views are different. And so, Jesus was very countercultural. Like, if Jesus was right here on earth, right now walking, I tell people, he wouldn't be in church. He, well, he, she, whatever. Um Jesus wouldn't be walking in churches. Jesus would be helping in soup kitchens. Jesus would be standing, you know, with uh, people, you know, asking for food or help on the side of the road. He would be with the prostitute, you know, when they got hurt or beat mm. up. They would be, you know, with the orphan, the widowed, and the poor because that's the crux of the gospel message. And I think we we get obsessed with, I have to believe everything in the Bible when it says, and I'm like, Paul's great. You know, Paul's, you know, Paul was conflicted. Peter was great. The gospel writers were great. And when you go to the Old Testament and you look at David, when David wrote stuff for like Moses, when he wrote not all of the first five books of the Bible, which is the Pentateuch. But I'm like, those people were pointing us to Jesus. Mm. You know, like the Old Testament was pointing us to the, the revelation of who Jesus is going to be through God. 
and the New Testament is showing post, um, after the Gospels, post of like what Christianity was doing, but they're all, we're, our religion is Christianity, and we're not Paulites, we're not Peterites. Right. We're, and I feel like at the core message of what Jesus' teaching was, was after you love me, you have to love others. And if you can't love, if you if you say you love me, but you can't love others, others, capital O, which means anyone and everyone that's not like you, then you're not understanding the the message. So I think, Jesus, I think most Christians worship, almost in a way as idolatry, worship the idea of church, the idea of the Bible, the idea of God or Jesus, but they don't really understand Jesus because mm. Jesus... And I always tell people, I, I'm in love with Jesus. I've never been in love with something more in my life than Jesus. But when when Jesus is at the crux of your belief system, you'll start throwing away that shit mm. that is bad. And so I, I, you know, I have a very high view, and this is theological talk, a high view of Christology, which means that I believe that Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. It was for everyone. It goes back to universalism. And we kind of pervert the gospel and the message of Jesus by saying, but if someone's gay or if someone's this or if they're this or if they're that, not in the kind of cool club, then we have to throw it away. Where I'm like, no, Jesus came to be like, no, if you want to follow me, follow my teachings, and this is how life's gonna, this is how life should be. Do you think that, um, that Jesus was God, the Son of God, or or some sort of in between. I think Jesus is, and that's the, the more Trinitarian question. Where uh, and it's funny because any theologian will tell you that explaining the Trinity is uh, you can't do it. That's just kind of like you just can't prove the Trinity, but it's a belief kind of like what we went back to. But I do think Jesus is the human revelation of God. So that when God, you know, pretty much made Mary pregnant, um, which is a huge trip in itself being yeah. like, uh, how can you get pregnant without penetration, without a seed, you know, without the egg? Um so I do think that Jesus is God's revelation. So Jesus was literally God walking on earth in human form. And I think, but I think it's beautiful because that's the greatest love story is a deity coming down to earth in human form, being with us and all of our shit and mm-hmm. the nitty gritty in life experiencing, you know, day to day life. Cause if you look at the, like from when Jesus was young to when he died, he went through a lot of stuff. You know, he, I don't know everything that he went through, but I, you know, it was tough. Um, but I think that Jesus, just the whole idea and concept of Jesus is an amazing and beautiful story. And, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at today in theology or in my views if Jesus wasn't like the crux of, of that. Mm, okay. Okay. As a uh, seminary graduate, what would you say is if you could change one thing about the modern church, and I have a suspicion what your answer might be, but what would it be if you if you not a gradual change, but you wake up one day and something's different, what would that thing be? If I could change the church or what I would hope the church to be, I would say 
we need a whole we need to blow up the whole idea and of what church is because I feel like the as much as the church as the much as God calls us to be in community because I think at the core of being a Christian at the core of what the early church early church was is what the sacred collective is mm. what revolution is what you know because we both are friends with Jay Baker is you get together you talk about God you talk about Jesus you talk about life you digest it you you know you have food um, you have some drink, you, you talk, that's what church is, is being community. And I think we've perverted it. I know it's a strong word, but I think we've perverted it to say church has to be getting up at, whoever thought it was a good idea to have church at eight or nine or 10 in the morning on Sundays is dumb, in my opinion, because I'm like, hey, we all, most of us work Monday through Friday. Um, and I want to have a couple of days to sleep in. Like when we do the sacred collective, it's, Every other Thursday, it's like you don't. Who made this idea of church has to be once sun, you know, one Sunday, you know, one service, or maybe if you want to go on Wednesdays. But I think it's it's the idea of church shouldn't you have to be. When I was a little kid, it was funny. I always dressed up going to children's church and church and like a little cute, you know, little kid, you know, <laughs> yeah. suit and tie and yeah. my Sunday best because that was instilled in me. And then mm-hmm. I get to a, t- you know, and to this day, I'm you know, I'm almost thirty five, and they were cuffed blue jeans, band t-shirts, you know, band hoodies, because I like that kind of stuff. But I think the whole idea of church is something that has been popularized over the last post, you know, Christ's ascension into heaven. I think, you know, are sermons wrong? No, absolutely not. They're like pep talks. I tell all that sermons are are pep talks by men and women who've went to school, who've gotten degrees, and it's no different to me than a doctor who does operations, but then they'll go like talk at a mm, conference and okay. like lecture. And is it wrong to sing about God? No, I don't. I don't think it's wrong to sing about God. And I'm not trying to say people who go to church are wrong or bad. Right. But my view of church would say church should church needs to go under the operating table and needs to be dissected. And I really feel and there is. It's unfortunate that she passed away, but Phil Stickle was a great kind of church scholar. Um, but she said, and it's true, that if you look through the church history, around every 500 years or so, the church, she uses the analogy, the church is like, cleans out its closet. Mm-hmm. Like when we go like in our own houses, you know, and we're like, what is all this crap in my, you know, in my closet here? I don't wear these shoes. I don't wear these clothes anymore. So then you throw it out and mm-hmm. you start new. It's, it's, and her analogy is true because it's like we believe stuff in the church that has no business being in the church. Right. And we just celebrated it in October of last year, the 500-year, you know, reformation of when mm. Luther, you know, nailed the theses on the wall of the church. And so that's radically changed stuff. But I think we're still in the – probably started in the mid to late 90s and even present where, you know, more and more people are saying, what is church – why is church important? Yeah. And that's why I feel like how, you know, there's the house church movement, but even in that, when I've been a part of some of these small groups, they still have that thinking of like, well, we still need to have like that one person that leads it. We need to have just two or three people almost like in a deacon way, which shouldn't. And so like revolution or like sacred collective, which is you, you've been a part of both. It's kind of like, no, let's just talk. Let's hang out. Like, 
let's break bread together, which also means just food, you yeah. know. And if someone wants a water or a beer or iced tea or a Diet Coke, we can do that. And so I, to me, that's what church is. Mm. But even And I think evangelical churches get it wrong just as much as I think Protestant and Catholics get it wrong, where they're obsessed with the idea of of church and this i think there's nothing wrong per se with ritualism which i think that's what it is but ritualism can be idolatrous Mm -hmm. which you're studying you're you're obsessed with having to go to church on sunday and i don't think that's what jesus ever was because jesus is like hey if you don't love people if you don't take care of the orphan the widow of the poor if you don't accept people if you don't include people then you're not being a christian and I don't think going to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, or whenever you go to church, you know, and I think that we need to, once we're getting away from that, then I think the church is totally going to reimagine itself. Mm-hmm. But, and I honestly think that the older, or the older people, like not even Gen Xers, but baby boomers and others who are pastors now, once they retire and us younger people, and we're not even that young, you know, I'm in my mid thirties, but I'm kind of at the beginning of that millennial phase. I hate that. Yeah. I hate that word, but, used. but I feel that we're the ones kind of come in and be like, yeah, you know, I want you to come to our group or whatever, call it church, call it a gathering, call it whatever you will. But if you're just trying to figure out life and you want God to be a part of it, great. And I think that's what church it's going to kind of morph into, or that's my hope mm-hmm. in the future. So. Yeah. When you talked earlier about the kind of 500 year, uh, you know, reoccurring, um, you know, revelation or, or um, revolution, I guess. Reformation. Reformation. Yeah. Thank you. Um, do you do, do you think that that parallels with Christ coming along into Judaism and causing a reformation, um, coming into a stale? System and saying, "Hey guys, we're doing things wrong. We need to reevaluate." Or is that a totally different thing? It, it could be. I think more of. I think when Jesus came onto the scene, and sometimes I have a hard time with the Old Testament because I feel when you look at like the creation narrative, which, mind you, most the Christians' idea, Christianity's view of. Like the flood and all that stuff is not. We were probably one of the last ones on the scene because you have the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is ancient Babylonian, which precedes the Christian flood narrative by centuries. You know, centuries and centuries. But I, th- I have an issue sometimes in the Old Testament because you see almost this vindictive, almost kind of like a dick uh, of a god. Mm-hmm. And when you look the Bible in its historical context when it was written. It, it was a lot of slaves. It was women had no rights. Uh, just utter, you know, countries would dominate other countries. Like, you know, Israel was dominated by the Romans and by, you know, hence where Italy is. And so I feel that for whatever reason, God wanted to send his son, so himself through his son. Why Why he did it then, I don't know, and I don't think we know, but I think post-Christ leaving this earth and, you know, bodily form as we know it, I think human beings, also Christians from that point on, have just been trying to wonder and understand what God is, how we can 
do things better. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's 100% answers the question, but that's kind of like where my mind goes. Okay. Um, but I do think, you know, could could have this, and I'm such a out there thinker on some of my stuff. Like sometimes I'll be like in the corner in my room. My wife will be like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just thinking about this. Or <sighs> I'm thinking, and she's like, why, why are you going that way? I'm like, that's just where my mind goes. Like I just think of the big what if questions and we don't know could have could god have sent jesus in modern times absolutely but it that didn't happen mm-hmm. and it is what it is yeah um do you see um christ's death on the cross as being essential to provide salvation as a universalist i, I i'm assuming here and correct me if i'm wrong that um the father can provide salvation to whoever he wants without any you know prerequisitions and things like that. Do you think that Christ on the cross was a catalyst that his death was a catalyst that was necessary for that forgiveness to be made available? Oh, you're bringing up an atonement theory question. Atonement theory, yes. Um do I think that Jesus had to die or did die on the cross? I don't think that is necessary. I don't think it's a prerequisite to like be a Christian or whatever. And I know that goes in the flies in the face of kind of most of modern doctrine Mm -hmm. of Christian doctrine. But I personally, in my view, think that I do think that there was a, you know, a real human being named Jesus and we can't prove that Jesus died and rose again, but there from the historical manuscripts that we have, you know, we found that crucifixion, was a type of things they did back then yeah. for for people. Um, there's archaeological finds where not necessarily it wasn't Jesus because you can't really you know find that, but they actually found pieces of wood and they found like a bone fragment and a nail. Where so that to me I'm like that to me is good enough proof that 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 was a way of people getting killed um, back then. Do I think that someone is like, if someone was like, I don't want to believe in, you know, a God that would send his son, his only son to die on the cross. So, and it's, I mean, that's super violent because I think Jesus is way more pacifistic than most other deities in other religions. Do you need to believe that Jesus died and rose again? Absolutely not. But I feel like, to me, that makes sense. To me, that like, he was killed by the Romans for being a revolutionary. He was killed by the Romans for pretty much saying, I'm God, not these people over here, not your emperors. Cause that's really why Jesus was killed is because he's like, I'm the King of the Jews. He was Jewish and not just that he was a King for the Jewish people, but like, I'm the King for everyone. Mm, mm, and mm-hmm. so pretty much like, Hey, he stuck it to the emperors and was like, yeah. you're not God. Cause like Caesar, and you know the Greeks and the Romans, they were all like we're like when we're pre- like like a president or a ruler, we're like that de facto God. And Jesus was like, no, I'm that person. So I think that's why he got crucified. But to me, and looking at the crucifixion as a pre prerequisite for salvation, no, because what what is salvation really? Uh, that's another like all these things could be just week long podcasts, <laughs> but. So personally, I don't think that because I know people who are Christians who are like, I don't believe that Jesus died and rose again. Well, great, but I feel like for me, and it makes sense to me, 
that when Jesus died on the cross and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I think that was hopefully like uttered. But I feel like when Jesus died on the cross, it was like, I'm doing this as a sacrifice, not because I have to, but I want to. Mm. And this is not for just the elect. This is for every human being that lived before me and for every other human being that will live after me. I'm saying you're important, you're loved, and I'm doing this because I I love you. And to me, I look at the crucifixion as the ultimate love story. Wow. Um, wow. That, because it's like, because it does say in the Bible, you know, if you lay your life down for another person, like legitimately, not, I don't think God's telling us, hey, you know, if someone is not doing well, you know, you know, if they're going to get shot, jump in front of them. But I'm not saying that that's wrong to do either, because when you lay your life down for someone, a.k.a. you help someone out in need, that's being what Jesus is. Yeah. And so, yeah, for me personally, I do believe Jesus died and rose again. But as a universalist, Christian universalist, that 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 one thing changed the, all of history, all of eternity. Mm. So okay. that's just me. Okay. So you're not an atonement theory guy, but you think that the uh, the, the I'm just trying to restate back to you what I heard, um, but that it was essential for Christ to die. Was it to provide the universalism or to just to be a, just to be an example? I think it was more to be an example. Okay, to be like. Because, I mean, there's all these different views of atonement, like the Christus Victor, the, I forget all of them, I, when I was in the seminary and, and in university, you know, people were like, you have to believe in this one, you have to believe in that one. And I, personally, to me, I don't lose any sleep over all those atonement theories at all. But I do think, for me, kind of going back, what I had said a couple minutes ago, like, is it essential? No, but I think he did it because he just loves humanity so much. Mm, mm. And that to me, that's because anything you look at, there's sacrifice, you know, like in my marriage to my wife, there's things I sacrificed from when I was a single person and I don't do it because I'm like, Oh, you know, I'm, you know, I, I could just, you know, I, I was a big smoker before I met my wife and she doesn't want me to smoke. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to smoke. That was a sac. I'm not trying yeah. to compare no, the no, two, no, but their, their sacrifices are like, as a parent now, you know, I can't stay up as late as I want. I can't spend money frivolously because I have to provide for my family. So that's a sacrifice. Right. So I think Jesus dying on the cross was a sacrifice because if you look at the scripture, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweated blood. Yeah, Jesus did not want to die. Right. If you look at that as factual and that that happened, Jesus didn't want to die. If you look at the scripture, it's like God, take this cup from me. Like yeah. pretty much saying, I don't want to do this. I, wh- why did you put me here if I'm going to die? Yeah. But then I think for whatever that conversation that was not in the scripture that Jesus somehow knew, like, this is what I have to do. Yeah. And to me, studying other religions like I have, I have dabbled a little bit because we have to in school, in seminary. I just, I'm like, I'm just, to me, going back is such a great love story. Mm-hmm. And it's, I, I just, I don't think there's any other sacrifice that any human being, any God has ever made in any religion mm-hmm. that is so poetic yes. and so beautiful as that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm probably kind of showing my cards here a little bit, but um, with Christ 
given that Christ is a deity and synonymous with God, how can God ask God to take this cup from him? How can God have a conversation with God where the two are conflicted, where the two disagree? Well, and that's part of the Trinity, which is really wonky. Because <laughs> um, if you and that's and you look at a lot of the early uh, adherence to Christianity, that was a thorn in their side because people thought they were tritheists. They were like, you pray to God, you pray to Jesus, and then you talk about this spirit. What the hell is that? And people were like, no, no, no. They're just like different understandings or different iterations. So, like, what you if I'm understanding you, like, how could Jesus? Who is God? Talk to God. It's kind of like almost like uh, like has like some sort of mental illness, almost like psychotic. <laughs> but I I think that we have to realize that Jesus. If you look at Jesus as human and divine, yes, I feel like the part that was talking to God was his human, his side, human side, not the divinity. Because I feel and we can't understand that dualism because that's never been happened before. It's not like we're walking around being like, oh, I'm God, which is the divinity, and I'm human. We, we're just human, so we can only understand the human aspect. Yeah. And so I do have, I do believe that Jesus is fully God and fully human, and the part that we see like in the Garden of Gethsemane, I think that was the human part of, of God, you know, in Christ, saying, I don't want to do this. Yeah. But God, through the divinity, sparking that divinity in Jesus that said, hey, you know. And then there is those, in theology and in, in study, there's a lot of people, I don't hold this per se, but there's a lot of people who say that Jesus wasn't fully divine until he did, like, die on the cross. Hmm. And until he resurrected, then that's when he became God. But when he was on earth, he was just human. Okay. I don't know if I buy that, but there is that... There's that aspect okay. within certain views of okay. Jesus. Kind of rolling into that, and this is something that's been kind of on my heart to use Christianese here recently, um, is that, so, okay, in Mark, in Mark chapter 1, uh, you know, Mark is proclaiming the, bapt- the baptism of sins as a catalyst for forgiveness. And, uh, you know, Christ comes to Mark to be baptized, presumably... For the under the pretense of the forgiveness of sins, and then the spirit de- descends upon him. It's not that the spirit descends upon him uh, upon birth, you know. Um, and if he is divine from birth, one would assume that he is omniscient, om- omnipresent, all those, all those omnis, mm-hmm. you know, from birth. Um, is there a change that happens when he's baptized and receives the spirit, or? Is it the more conventional uh, fundamentalist view that he was just giving us an example of how to go about being baptized and forgiven? Or are you trying to say it wasn't Mark that baptized him, it was John? No, I'm, I'm yeah. saying in the book of Mark. Oh, in the book, okay. Yeah, so when John the Baptist, which is also his cousin, yes. when, when Jesus was baptized, and there was a whole point, a lot of people think, too, kind of what I said about when Jesus died on the cross, that's when he has his divinity. A lot of people thought there's also the view that Jesus kind of became divine when that Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, that's when he got his divinity as well. So there's, there's not a, a, a firm, uh, a firm consensus mm. from people. I mean, and uh, most people in church, most 
Joe Schmoes who goes to church, they don't even ask these questions. That's one of the reasons I went to seminary because when I was reading the Bible, I'm like, this, what, what, what? You know, these, they don't connect. My brain just started firing. And so I, I think it's important to note that we really don't know when Jesus' divinity came about. Was he born divine and human at the same time? Was it when John the Baptist baptized him? Was, was you know, and on the cross? I've also heard and understood, though, too, that when Jesus baptized him, that was like the kickoff of his ministry. Right, I've heard that too, yeah. So I look at that as the the baptism was kind of like the the blessing from God through through the dove through that the whole metaphor of the dove um, of God kind of saying you know yeah this is okay the, these next three years this is this is the meat in the meat of what I want you to do mm-hmm. and that was kind of like the catalyst uh-huh. of Jesus doing his ministry because if we I mean I'm 35 I'll be 35 this year I, Jesus was already dead yeah. by the time he was 33 mm-hmm. um. And he really started his ministry when he was 30. Um, I hate using, you know, male pronouns, but that I understand God and Jesus and male pronouns. Do with it what you want. Um, I just don't want to offend anybody that listens. That's um, true. But, yeah, so there's that. And does that, and I think we go back, and most churches do the two sacraments, which is baptism and and, and the Eucharist, which is yeah, communion. communion yeah. Um do you need to be baptized to go to heaven or to believe in God? Absolutely not. Do you need to take communion all the time? No. But I think that's regardless of your Christianity, whether you're a Catholic, uh, some is a God, any any flavor in between. I think we practice those two sacraments because those are the only two we can really agree on. Um, but I do think um, the whole point of when someone says that they're a Christian, they're saying, I choose not to believe in a certain way i choose not to live my life that way so there's like an outward because as human beings we we want to set our parts like a self like when you get married do you have to have a big you know wedding no you can go down to the courthouse yeah you know you you can you know if i marry someone i just have to have the bride and groom or the groom and groom or bride and bride and i have to sign it and there has to be two witnesses one for each that's it. That's really all that you have to do. But it's still you're making a declaration, and I think within a faith, you're making a declaration. Now, do you? I know tons of people who call themselves that they're Christians, but they've never gotten baptized. Do I think that they're going? I mean, I don't believe in hell, but do I think that they're not a Christian? Absolutely not. But I don't think it's wrong to be baptized mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. I do think that a lot of Christians look back to that, be like, "Hey, Jesus was baptized by his cousin." And, you know, was baptized to do, you know, ministry, that's great, so we should too. That's great, that's fine if you want to do that, but is that a requirement? Absolutely not. Okay, okay. So, um, not seeing Christianity and belief in Christ as an essential thing for your, the sustenance of your eternal soul, um, do you choose to believe in Christianity as a cultural thing, or because it makes the most sense to you, uh, why do you choose Christianity? I think going back to what I had just said, because I think it's the greatest love story ever told. Mm. Um, kind of a sap. I like rom coms. I like a good TV show or a movie where there's the you know the two people that meet, they fall in love, they 
for whatever reason, they reject each other, they go away, and then at the end of the story, the end of the narrative of the movie or the show, they get together, they're they're like that. And I feel like my view and in, in my faith and my Christianity, there's that time where I fell in love with God, you know, Jesus. I use God and Jesus interchangeably, but when I fall in love, when I fell in love with the teachings of Jesus and who Jesus was and what I feel like Jesus is for all of humanity, that's where I, you know, fell in love with it. And do I do I? There are a lot of cultural Christians. I think there are a lot of people who believe in their said faith, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, because it's cultural yeah. because family did it it's mm-hmm. ritual i mean shoot i would i would think in any religion you know you hear the the, the word lapsed where people are like oh i'm a lapsed catholic right. i'm a lapsed you know jew it, it, so to them they're they're jewish or they're muslim or they're christians because that's what they were raised in yeah. it's kind of like an identity to them so there's definitely that cultural thing i don't believe as a Christian, I'm a Christian because it's culturally cool or not cool or hip. I go back because, and, I t- and I've said this when I've preached at Revolution or I've, when I've preached in the UCC, I love Jesus because I'm obsessed with, and I, it is, I always say that very open, I'm obsessed with the teachings of Jesus because I've never, I love history. My dad was a history buff and I love church history. There's never been, I feel like, in any religion where there's such an, a beautiful love story where Jesus is like, I love everyone, and there's nothing you can do ever, ever in your entire life. It, just the worst thing you can ever do, I'm still going to love you. Yeah. doesn't mean he's grace. giving you – yeah, and that's exactly what it is. It's great. He's never, he doesn't give you the wherewithal, oh, like you're going to murder someone. Yeah, you should say I'm sorry and, and be forgiven, but as humans, we live in a world where there's punishment. If I go murder someone – most likely I'm going to go to prison for probably the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But does that mean that God loves me any less? Absolutely not. Um, so to me, the core of my view on Christianity and my love is not for what Paul said about Jesus. It's not what Moses or David or anybody says. I look at what Jesus and Jesus' own self said. And I'm like, that's what I my faith is contingent on. The words and the stories of Jesus and who Jesus points us to be as people. Um, but yes, I do think there are a lot of Christians, and not just Christians, but any religion that are that because it's culturally cool. Mm-hmm. But And so that's those people have to deal with that on their own. But right. I'm not a Christian because of cultural. I believe in Jesus and Christianity because I fell in love with the teachings and the message of, of Jesus. Mm. Okay, cool. That's a great answer. Well, thank you. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about the Sacred Collective? Thank you. That's a nice segue. Well, that seems like as good a spot as any to stop part one of my interview with Brian. In part two, we get into a bit more of his uh, establishment and involvement in the Sacred Collective. Uh, what is that? Well, I guess we'll just have to stay tuned. In other words, I'll sit in front of your 
a podcasting device, iPhone, iPad, Android, for approximately seven days to find out the conclusion of this interview. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Sweet.